be seated. So this is normally the time I come up and say if you have your Bibles, but I'm not going to be saying that this morning because I'm not going to be speaking to you today. Um, over the last six months and even before that, I've had the opportunity of uh, working with this young man and, and uh, who feels a calling to ministry and then walking him through. He's spoke on Wednesday night a few times for us already, and so I just asked him to come and to share with us today what God has laid on his heart, and just so thankful for all that God's doing there, and I know you're going to be encouraged by that as well. So this morning, I'm going to ask Jordan Chambers to go ahead and come on up, and if you can make him feel welcome as he does so. Good morning. Uh, I am so excited for this opportunity to preach to y'all this morning. Uh, when the pastor asked me uh, to give a sermon, I was really worried that the timing wasn't right. Uh, you, pastor Mike also had the uh, same concern because he kept reiterating over and over that we can do this at another time. But um, as most of you are aware, uh, Blair just had surgery. She was in a lot of pain, and Judah was being quite the handful because... Uh, Blair couldn't pick him up, so he wasn't not adjusting well to that. So when he asked, he didn't want to give me, or he didn't want me to give an answer right away. Said we should pray on it, and I should talk to Blair and talk about the opportunity to share the word of God. So I took our good pastor's advice and had a conversation with Blair. Spent a lot of time in prayer, and I jumped into his word. And what I did was I went back and read part of the church's uh, foundational reading. And the word hit me like a ton of bricks. God showed me exactly what I uh, needed to preach on. Now, if you do not participate in the uh, foundational Bible readings here at uh, First Baptist Church of Oceanway, I would highly encourage you to grab a copy on your way out today. It is a great tool the church offers that helps us dive into his word. But uh, after my little cheesy plug-in right there, um, I want to talk to you all today is about Jeremiah. You see, Jeremiah lived during troubled times. He became a prophet during Josiah's reign. Josiah was the last faithful king in Judah's history. His death marked the beginning of the last years of the nation of Judah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was called to speak to the people of Jerusalem during the revival under King Josiah and continued to speak to them during the city's final fall to the Babylonians. You see, his task was to hammer home the message that Jerusalem's fall was not due to any lack on God's part, but was entirely due to Judah's unfaithfulness towards God. However, this wasn't even the end of what Jeremiah was called to do. Jeremiah also foretold a return from exile, an everlasting covenant, and a new covenant in which God's people would at last embrace the covenant in their hearts. Israel and Judah would be re reunited and finally fulfill their calling to bring light to the world. That is kind of a very rough summary of the salvation events that occur in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, what I want to focus on is where it all starts. I want to focus on Jeremiah 1. Uh, you see, Jeremiah's father was a priest, but God called him to be a prophet. That is a big difference. Uh, a priest is one who represented the people before God, and a prophet is one who represents God to the people. That is a huge difference in job descriptions. Uh, Jeremiah eventually becomes known as the weeping prophet, but he's not a wimpy prophet. He, he's not no sissy. Um, 
Jeremiah 1 is where Jeremiah receives his call and message from God. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would ask that you open them to Jeremiah 1. When you get there, give me an amen. amen. I love doing that. <laughs> Let's stand, if you are able, as we honor the Word of God. We're going to read the entire chapter, so bear with me. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made, me offerings, or they have made offerings to other gods, and worship the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work, arise, and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the Lord. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, just let your glory and your truth be revealed in this building this morning. Just let your will be done, nothing more, nothing less. Amen. You may be seated. So what is happening here is Jeremiah is called by God. Calls him by name, in fact. God knows him. So God calls, boy, you better be quiet. So God calls Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's calling and message were as difficult as his times, for the people were in no mood to hear God's word. Regardless, God directed him to preach and write about Judah's sin and consequences they will face for their sin. Notice that sounds a little bit different than some of these modern-day preachers who refuse to speak out against sin of any kind. What a difficult task God has set Jeremiah out to do. But like any good pastor would, I found three biblical truths in Jeremiah 1. The first biblical truth 
is God does not accept our excuses. Notice when Jeremiah gets the call from God that his first response is to give an excuse on why he cannot serve the Lord. He states he is only a youth. Now, Jeremiah is speaking the truth here. He is speaking humbly to God because he is, in fact, only a youth. He is not lying to God. Jeremiah is called before he has even reached adulthood, though his exact age is impossible to determine. Imagine how easy it would have been for Jeremiah to simply say, I can't, and walk away from the call of God. I can't. With those words, we often dismiss our responsibility to do something God wants us to do. Look at Jeremiah. God had prepared him to be a prophet to the nations. Yet when he heard of God's plan, he immediately objected. I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Again, it is not clear how old he was, but it didn't matter to God. He didn't accept his objections. Jeremiah is a young person as God is calling him to task. If you think this only happens in the Old Testament or even in the Bible, I would just ask you to look around this very church. You do not have to look far to see how God is using the youth today. Our youth have stepped up to serve. Whether it's volunteering, going overseas on missions trips, helping around the church with audio and visual, or ministering to the community through Vacation Bible School, these young folks have stepped up to serve the Lord and thank God for that. Amen. And it has been a privilege to work with these young people. The youth have caught, uh, heard the calling, but how often do we hear God's calling but tell him we can't? I just think how easy it would have been for me to, to have told Pastor Michael, right now isn't a good time and I could have walked away from this opportunity God has provided. But when I read this word and realized what God was revealing to me, I knew what I had to do. But it is so easy to make excuses when the Lord calls upon us. Whether it's I'm too busy, someone else will do it, there is someone better suited for it, I don't want to get involved, it will take up too much of my time, or my personal favorite is the excuse is God cannot use me. If any of this sounds like your line of thinking, I urge you to pray for a change in your heart because the Bible shows a completely different story. Noah was a drunk, Rahab was a prostitute, Moses had a stuttering problem, Samson was a womanizer, Martha worried about everything, Jonah ran from God, Job went bankrupt, Peter denied Christ, and the disciples fell asleep while praying. That's a good list. So I'm going to tell you right here and right now that God can use us. We need to stop with the excuses. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We will all go before the Father, and we will all be before the judgment seat of Christ. And the question I have for you is very simple. Do you want to go in front of the Father and tell him about your excuses, or by his grace, in our weakness, I did what you called me to do? I want to close this first, quote, uh, first truth with a quote by David Brandon, and he said, listen to me, what is he calling you to do for him? Does it sound too hard? That's impossible. If God has a job for you, it's not you who will be doing it. He will be working through you, and that should take care of those feelings of inadequacy. And this leads me to my second truth. The second truth is God has an eternal plan for us. Even before his birth, God had designated Jeremiah for a purpose. We see this in verse 5. Long before any of us were a thought in our parents' mind, our Heavenly Father already knew us and had a plan for us. For Jeremiah... 
he was commissioned as God's spokesman to his people during a time of crisis. Because of their idolatry, God's people were threatened by invasion from the Babylonians. Jeremiah was also called to be a prophet of nations, a prophet to the nations, a reminder that God is sovereign over the whole world. God made a decisive call on Jeremiah's life, and he responded in great faith. He followed the Lord in a very dangerous environment with a very offensive message. He was calling out sin to a bunch of sinners that did not want to hear from God. Would we do the same thing in Jeremiah's situation? Would we have the faith to follow God's plan? You might just be thinking to yourself that God hasn't called upon you. And since you might just be thinking that, I'm going to go ahead and show you how God has called upon you no matter what point you are in your walk with Christ. First and foremost, if you aren't a follower of Christ, Jesus is calling you to salvation. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Christ tells us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for, our, for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what does Christ want us to do? He wants us to go to him. So first and foremost, Christ wants us to follow him if we are not following him. The next step uh, after salvation would be sanctification. In chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 of the book of Romans, the Bible tells us, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is the plan that God has for his children? What is God's will in our life? We are to conform to Christ. We are to be Christ-like. Understand that sanctification is a lifelong journey with Christ. We are always to be like Christ. Sanctification is something we can lose, and my wife loves to help me remember that. Uh, give you all a little story. Last month, I went to the DMV. I had to renew my license, and I mistakenly decided to go on a uh, Friday around lunchtime. So the place was absolutely packed. I waited around 90 minutes before my name was called, and when I get up there, the young lady tells me that the system's down. I had no words. Well, I did. I just I can't bear repeating them. <laughs> the lady tells me that I can either wait for the system to come back up or I can come back later. Well, my license expired the next day, so I was waiting around. So I decide to wait, and I text my wife, and I'm telling her what just happened, and she could tell I'm, I'm a little mad. And she responds with four simple words, don't lose your sanctification. And that worked because I, I calmed down and I waited and ended up getting a new license. But she's always there to remind me not to lose my sanctification. And then in our sanctification, we are to become part of his mission. We are no longer the mission. We are to be a part of the mission. We are to have a close relationship with God and bear good fruit for the kingdom. Uh, turn over to Isaiah chapter 5. When you get there, give me an amen. Isaiah chapter 5 paints a really good picture of what will happen if we were to bear bad fruit. Okay, I got one. That's it? All right. There we go. Understand that Isaiah chapter 5 is using uh, this analogy as a vineyard to diagnose Judah's spiritual decline. Uh, starting in verse 5, it says, And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. 
I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. If we were to look at ourselves as vineyards, we have the option of doing two things. We can either bear good fruit or produce bad fruit. If we produce bad fruit, those verses tell us what will happen to us. We shall be devoured. God will make us a waste. We need to make sure we bear good fruit for the kingdom. Notice, notice that. We produce bad fruit and we bear good fruit. For it is God that is the one that produces the good fruit. We only uh, bear it. And if you want to know how to produce good fruit for the kingdom, I would encourage you to read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Because in those verses, Christ tells us to go out and make disciples of all nations. If you were here Wednesday night, you heard Robert, Richard, Michaela, and Morgan talk about their experience in Ecuador and how God used them to help spread his word in that part of the globe. They were able to witness to many young people and talk about Christ to people who were not familiar with his word. Plus, Morgan was able to take a selfie with every llama in that particular region, and Michaela was able to play the ultimate tourist when she wasn't witnessing. Notice that it was two of our youth that went out and made disciples. Now, I'm drawing the second truth to a close, but this truth doesn't end with a warm and fuzzy ending. We need to understand that God may indeed have a plan for us, but it may not be the plan you have in mind. I think David Platt said it quite well when he said, the modern day gospel says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Therefore, follow these steps and you can be saved. Meanwhile, the biblical gospel says you are an enemy of God, dead in your sin, and in your present state of rebellion, you are not even able to see that you need life, much less to cause yourself to come to life. Therefore, you are radically dependent on God to do something in your life that you could never do. We are to be radically dependent on God to do something in our life that we could never do without him. And that brings me to my third and final truth. The last truth is that God equips us for his task. He qualified and equipped Jeremiah for his task as a prophet. God promised his presence to Jeremiah in verses 8 and 19. So Jeremiah has two options. He can either fear God or he can fear man. He has no reason to fear man, though, for God will deliver him. So really, he didn't have an option. He gave Jeremiah words to say in verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched his mouth. God's touching of Jeremiah's mouth set it apart for God's use. Now, this isn't the first time God did this. He also did this in Isaiah 6 as well. And he's probably done it more than that being the first time, according to our good pastor. And then in verse 18, he strengthened him like a fortified city. Again, Jeremiah has no reason to fear because God has made him a fortified city that can withstand every possible assault. He is invincible as long as he does God's work. God's sovereignty is his comfort. Verses 17 through 19 really drive home the point that God promised protection for Jeremiah. What he didn't promise was he wouldn't face persecution. 
In fact, Jeremiah will face persecution from the entire nation. But God will deliver him, ensuring that his ministry will be completed. So Jeremiah was God's mouthpiece to preach the message of judgment and restoration. And through visions, God clarified two things. First, like the almond tree, which blooms first and watches spring's arrival, so God would watch over his word to bring it to fruition. How bold Jeremiah would be knowing that God was watching over his words and would bring it to fruition. That is better than any guarantee I have seen the world give. Second, like the tilting boiling pot, there was disaster brewing for God's people in Judah because they have forsaken the Lord, and Jeremiah was to warn them. Now, this vision may have caused Jeremiah to have a moment of doubt. Imagine being told that disaster is coming to your neighborhood, and you were the one that had to tell them that it was coming. And also, it was their fault. I don't think your neighbors would be very friendly and receptive to that message. But that is exactly what Jeremiah does. He goes and starts speaking out to people that he knows will hate the message and that these people have no love for God. To do that, that takes great faith in God. He was able to keep the faith because God remained faithful to him to prepare him, to equip him, and protect him. God had him ready for this moment, but in all reality, this was never really up to Jeremiah in the first place. Jeremiah was just an instrument used by God so that God's glory would be revealed. Being able to be used by God in this way requires one thing from us. It requires faith. Keeping the faith is first and foremost about maintaining uncompromising loyalty to God alone. It was God that set Judah over nations and kingdoms. It was God that made him a prophet to the nations. It was God who gave him words to speak. God equipped Jeremiah because Jeremiah had faith in God. God did everything. Jeremiah was just a willing instrument to use by God for his glory. And understand, Christian, Jeremiah's focus was upon Judah in the last decades before the Babylonians conquered it. Yet his work as a prophet was not only for Judah, but also for the nations. And then for us today. So these truths have real-world applications to our lives. Are you willing to be an instrument to be used by God for his glory? I want to leave you with this quote by Francis Chan. He said, But God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. Are we doing that, or are we just playing it safe? Realize we all have a calling to serve the Lord. He doesn't accept excuses no matter how valid we think they are. And once we start on our journey, the Lord will equip us for his task. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for these words. Thank you for these truths, Lord. Thank you for being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Just thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, the way you continually watch us and bless us. Just let us have a good rest of our day. And just thank you for this opportunity to share your word, Father. In your precious and holy name, amen.